Join me as I talk with people who express their creativity in ways that can inspire the rest of us to recognize our own creativity. And if you enjoy these conversations, please like, subscribe, and share them. Welcome to Creativity Conversations. This is episode 53, and I have the very distinct pleasure of talking with Nina Meehan, which is the first time I've ever talked to another Nina on one of these interviews. (laughs) That alone makes it special. But in this case, Nina has some very unusual talents and skills, and you're going to hear all about her. And I think this will be a really interesting conversation about the nature of creativity as it relates to us, to kids, and to the whole creative process. So welcome, Nina. Thank you so much. And thank you, Nina, for having me. I have also never had a conversation podcast type thing with another Nina, and I'm pretty excited about it. I feel like it's obviously, and an, an, we are clearly connected at a very deep and spiritual level. So we're good to go. <laughs> okay, let's go. So what I usually do on these calls, if you haven't been on before, is I read our guest's bio, and then we just jump into the water and swim. So that's what I'm going to do today. So Nina is CEO and founder of the Bay Area Children's Theater. She is an award-winning director, playwright, and producer, and a dedicated arts educator with expertise in youth development and nonprofit management. Her work focuses on nurturing innovation in children and connecting people in our increasingly digital world. Nina's award-winning theatrical work for young people as CEO of Bay Area Children's Theater has reached more than one million kids and adults and has toured nationally and internationally. Some of her most recent credits include the adaptation of Chelsea Clinton's book, She Persisted, Grace Lynn's Where the Mountain Meets the Moon, and the New York Times bestselling Good Night, Good Night Construction Site series. She's also received the Alumna of the Year Award from Hedroy School in the Diablo Valley Innovation Award, also, and the Theater Bay Area Award Best Director and Best New Musical. She was also an invited speaker at Visioni, am I pronouncing it right? In Bologna, Mm -hmm. Italia, and an invited speaker at a conference hosted by the National Endowment for the Arts. She serves as board president for TYA slash USA, you'll have to tell us what that means, and was named as one of Red Tricycle's Moms Who Rock. (laughs) Now there's more, but we'll talk about that during the course of our conversation. So Nina, tell us about your fabulous work teaching children and hopefully reminding adults how to be creative and how to play. Yeah, uh, you know, creativity is kind of at the it's it's at the the core of everything I do. I actually I started my career as a storyteller, just sort of me and a chair and an audience and no props, no costumes. I was also, you know, performing as an actor at the time and directing, but when I really when it comes down to what I do at at, at its core, it's about stories and connection and bringing people together to find their commonalities through creativity and imagination. So I 
direct young people and I direct professional adult shows and I adapt and I write and all of these different things. But in the end, what really moves me forward is this notion that we as humans have so much creative capacity and that we connect through story. And those stories have incredible power. And how did this ever become your passion? Um, I mean, I think it started when I was a kid, little, a little, little kid, you know, my, my grandmother, my great, my grandma Rose, uh, growing up, we lived in California and she lived in Philadelphia. So she would come and she would visit and she was a children's librarian and she would get off the airplane. And my sister and I would just instantly say, tell us a story, grandma, tell us a story. And she would just start open her mouth and she would just start telling us stories. Um, and I have just these beautiful fond memories of how her stories would just pour out of her mouth and into my imagination. And, you know, so I, I had this wonderful world where story was just a part of my world. And then I also had this really vivid imagination as a child and different kids, all, you know, kids play in so many different ways. And I lived in my imagination. So I think you put those two things together and I, you know, is it a surprise that I have now spent my career telling stories? Probably not, <laughs> but that's really where it started for me. Yeah. Oh, what a wonderful way to have it all begin. <laughs> I was very fortunate. Grandma Rose was an amazing storyteller. That's wonderful. Um, I wanted to talk to you about one of the many things I wanted to talk to you about was um, your process of learning creative thinking for children with the theater. And, the, and what I what stood out for me was these five components, imagination, storytelling, collaboration, self-expression and critical analysis slash feedback. Yeah, so having spent many, many years in the world of teaching kids how to connect to their own inner creative spirit, but then to do it in a collaborative environment, mm -hmm. I started really honing in on, you know, yes, as a, as a, you know, as a theater person, I teach projection and I teach you know, how to create a character. I teach all of these sort of the fundamentals of theater, but it became clear that we aren't necessarily just teaching those skills. About, I don't know, maybe five, 10 years ago, I was like, you know, we're doing a heck of a lot more than that. We're really teaching kids the process of what does it mean to be a creative thinker in our world. And to me, you know, this is where when you look at like the job descriptions for all of the big companies right now, um, you know, the Apples, the Facebooks, the Googles, all of these places, all of them talk about, you know, we are looking for, you know, team members who can think out of the box and who understand how to work on a team. And, and I was like, Gads, yeah, that's exactly what we do in theater. I mean, that's what, you know, the thousands and thousands of kids who've come through our programs that's what they're doing every day because they have to solve the problems by themselves, right? So if you're backstage and you are eight years old and in a production of A Year with Frog and Toad, and all of a sudden you are Toad and you cannot find the letter 
that you need on stage in the next five minutes, you got to solve that problem. And you're surrounded by other kids and they can help you solve the problem, but there's no one else there. You can't stop the show. Your director is probably busy doing something else. How do you get that child to a place where they have the confidence and the creativity to be able to solve that problem? And so that's where I started breaking down what are the elements and the imagination. Okay, so we, first of all, in order to create a theatrical world, we have to be willing to open our mind to possibilities beyond what we know. Let's just start there, right? Like that alone is, I mean, to be able to have empathy, put yourself in someone else's shoes, right? All of those pieces and kids, most kids will walk into our classrooms at age five or six. They're already ready to go on that. Like imagine, you don't have to teach imagination, but then take a 12 year old who maybe stopped playing those imagination games or started to be criticized or made fun of for having an active imagination. And at some point they might've closed off that part of themselves. Well, we need to reopen that because if we can't imagine a possibility of a world that we can't see, we can, will never get to that world. So starting with that, you know, you go from imagination to storytelling. We connect, we learn through stories. And obviously it's, that's just an extension of the imagination and that process. It's just giving it structure and form and an arc. A character walks in the door, something happens, there's a problem, they solve the problem and they've learned something. Ta-da, we have a story arc, right? And then that process of collaboration, how do you get a group of 20 people or five people or even two people to be working in that same direction? So we're all telling the same story. Maybe I'm only in charge of the part of it that is about the snail, but I'm still telling the same story as the kid who is performing as the cat. We're just, we're just coming at it from two different angles, right? Which, I mean, if, again, taking the real world, if you're on an engineering team, right, you're going to have somebody who's coming at it from the finance side and somebody else who's coming at it from the technical side. They're telling the same story. They're working towards the same goal. They're imagining the same outcome, but they have to figure out how to connect and communicate. So these are, this is kind of the, what the process is and how, to me, those five pillars give us a way of making sure that when kids are walking into our classroom, they're walking out with more than just, I learned how to project my voice. Projecting your voice, fantastic. But what if we can do more? Yeah, absolutely. And as you're describing this, I keep thinking of how relevant what you're doing is for adults especially in the world that we're living in now with so much uh, upheaval, so much uncertainty, so much unpredictability. It's as though you are bringing out the innate talents and skills that these children have that's already in place that adults have forgotten about or they've put to the side because they've put so much attention on their intellect and overthinking everything and analyzing everything and, and trying to make sure everything is right rather than coming from that more spontaneous, okay, I can do this, I can add this, I can put this in here. I completely agree. I mean, when you think about adults 
and you know the idea of self-expression right that i have a unique viewpoint in the world and i want to i want to get my i want to put a part of myself out there I mean, it's a really risky thing to do and adults we are we don't take risks very often right i mean kids take risks all the time i mean at, you're a toddler you decide to stand up ta-da you've taken a risk and then they fall and they fall on their butts and they do it over and over and over again and that's how they learn and then it's like we hit adulthood and that fear of the failure starts to drive us and so we stop we stop trying to stand up right we just little by little we say oh i'm just going to protect myself a little bit today i'm just going to protect myself a little bit until all of a sudden we wake up one day and we go oh wait who am i in this world what is my viewpoint yeah and isn't it worth sharing i think so many people you touched on that earlier so many people think who am i you know everybody else is telling better stories more funnier, more creative. Who am I to even bother? Nobody's going to be interested. And that's a huge, I think, squelcher, if that's a word, for creativity and just spontaneity. I couldn't agree more. I think that 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 story we play in our head of, oh, I'm not the special one, right? Like, oh, other people can do that. Right. And and we live in this world where you go on social media, right? And all you see, you're just bombarded with images of people doing things seemingly, and I'm going to use this in quotes, better than you can, right? Like, oh, well, I, you know, I like to paint. Oh, but look at this person. They can do it better than I can. So why should I? Well, right. because you have a unique viewpoint because whoever that other person who's doing it is doing it from their perspective, but what's your perspective? How do you bring something to the table? And, and that goes straight back to being willing to try and fail and keep learning. I mean, to me, that the creative process has so much to do with a growth mindset. And the more that we can keep that growth mindset, the more we have the ability to take the risk. Mm. It's so funny when you, as you were talking, I was thinking, well, if you had two daisies starting to blossom, not one of them isn't going to say, oh, I better not open up because that daisy <laughs> next to me is so gorgeous. What have I got? <laughs> you know, not realizing that the hummingbirds and the butterflies and the bumblebees are happy to go to both of them. I love that image. And it's so, it's so true. I mean, if I wanted to, you know, and, and you know, this is an interesting example because I'm not actually a painter. I, my, you know, I, I, I love visual art and I love playing with visual art. Um, and I, but you know, that's not generally. I usually am using my body and telling stories as my particular art forms. But you know, let's say I chose to to create an image of a sunset because where I live, I have these beautiful sunsets, and you and I could look at exactly the same sunset. And we would create two completely different versions of it just because of what we bring to our own artistic eye and our own viewpoint. And to me, I think that's the gift of creativity is that the options are in fact endless. Yeah. 
You know, one of the things that I've seen so much, especially in the last six, eight months where we were beginning to think, okay, maybe life is going to open up again and, re and have some sort of normalcy return. And then maybe not, you know, with a Delta variant and the things that have been gone, uh, ongoing for a while now, politics and climate change and everything else. All the, the things, yes. But the, I just see for myself, and I'd love to know what you think about this, is how it's not really about us anymore. Taking, taking a risk, what does that mean? That I show you that I'm not a perfect artist or that I don't paint like Matisse or that I'm not going to enter the, the Miami art show? What does that really mean? that we've constructed a world that we think is going to keep us safe, but it really just keeps us stifled. Yes, and I, I, I think that there's something so interesting about what you're talking about when you start to look at these bigger problems, which are so, I mean, they're so big and they feel so overwhelming. And you, I was actually just talking to my 13 year old yesterday about this and we were talking about climate change and he was talking about how it seems so impossible and how, how are we going to solve this? And, you know, and he was really, it was, I mean, and, and, and I, 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 my heart was like breaking cause he's right. It's so scary. It's so scary to be 13 and starting to learn these facts about climate change. Yeah. And we started talking about what it means to have a collaborative creative effort, mm. which is really what all of these big problems that you just laid out, every single one of them, right? We, we have to work together. We have to try something new and different, right? We have to think outside the box and figure out new and innovative ways to have solutions. And it takes a, a level of trust that other people are going to put themselves out there as well. And if you're right, it's not, it's not about an individual act. It's not about, you know, I am going to do this small thing all by myself. It's I'm going to do this small thing because I am a part of something much bigger and more powerful than just myself. And I don't even know what that, like, I don't think we as humans necessarily can even fathom how powerful that is. If everyone bought into the idea that if we all do something small, it can make a huge difference. Yeah. That, that is such a, um, a powerful possibility. And what does small mean? You True. Know, it's, it's a step, it's an effort. And we can't say for certain that that small thing we're doing is not going to have a ripple effect because it does, this whole world is full of energetic vibrations and there's no way that something you put out doesn't affect the rest of us. I was just yes. watching this terrific documentary called Fabulous Fungi and it's about magic <laughs> mushrooms. But the point is that within the documentary, two things were, were uh, discussed. One was that Fungi are being developed to strains are being developed to help the declining bee population because they, there's something in these mushrooms, the spores that uh, 
build up the bees' antibodies. Who knew, right? And there are oh, other, cool. other opportunities where uh, people have developed a, a way of, of um, having mushrooms eat the plastic that's in the ocean. They have some way of breaking it down. So these things are, I think, yes, we all need one another. And yet that spark of just one person saying, what if we tried this? What would happen if we did this? It can have such far reaching effects and we don't hear much about it because that's not the kind of news that the media likes to share with us. You know, we got to be afraid of what's coming down the pike. Better go hide. Don't take risks. <laughs> Well, and I think that loops right back to the power of imagination. Yes. I mean, in the end, you know, a, a, a scientist and an artist are asking the same question. They're asking, what if, yes. what if, and you know, who knew mushrooms? Of course you, know, and you're absolutely right. You know, it is, it's that one little thing can just, and, and when we, if we can get to a place where we all are willing to try to try that one little thing. And maybe it's for some person, it's they have this great knowledge of mushrooms. You know, there's a a, it's a, a, a fun sh a moment I had in a, a show I uh, created a couple of years back. So this was one that I developed um, off of Barney, Salzburg, Barney Salzberg's books, Beautiful Oops, which is a beautiful book. And it is technically a children's book, but I really believe all of us should read it all, all the time. It's a board book, but it's about the idea that every mistake is an opportunity to make something beautiful. Mm. And in the show, at one moment, we needed to change from the, we were in a, a, a garage with a car, and then we needed to get to Antarctica, where we had a penguin who was looking for its mom. And the way we ended up doing this, and again, total collaborative effort we actually instructed the audience to take out their playbill and take a piece of the playbill and rip it and then rip it into small pieces and then all at the same time everyone threw the paper in the air so we had all of this snow suddenly materialize in the theater and to me it's such a beautiful metaphor for the power of communal action and creativity combined. Because if one person had gone and ripped it up and thrown it in the air, I mean, it would not have been impressive, right? <laughs> like it would have just been some paper falling. But you get 200 people all collectively creating snow and they all have the imaginative buy-in, right? Because they're told in advance, right. we're, gonna, we're gonna make it snow. So then when it happens, you have this amazing con connection point of, collective collaborative action and imagination and in this case supporting a story and it's just like one of my favorite moments that we had that as a theater maker I've ever created because it has that element of exactly what you're talking about which is who knows what the one thing is and how many people might it take to do that one thing all together and believing that it's possible So if you had some advice for adults mm -hmm. who are hesitant, let's say, to take a risk or be open or 
be part of something larger because they've been burned or they've been told it wasn't a good idea, what would you say? Well, I think, you know, I talk, I talk to a lot of parents about sort of infusing creativity into their parenting. And there is a big fear, the, 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 the underlying fear that I hear a lot is losing control. Who would be losing it? The parent, Ooh. right? They, right? <laughs> that they, that they don't want to lose, that they somehow think they're supposed to control the outcome for their child. Big picture and little picture, right? Both my kid needs to go to, you know, an Ivy League school, but also in this five minute moment, my kid should not feel upset, right? So it's the, the control. And I think we're doing the same things to ourselves as adults, right? I think we're always trying to control and protect. Um, Oh, I need to be successful or I need to be more efficient or, um, you know, I I can't lose face. Like there's all these things that we use, these stories that we're telling ourselves constantly. And because we're trying to control, because we're holding so tightly to a concept of what success looks like or what winning looks like, I think it becomes really hard to let ourselves go into that creative place because by definition, a creative process, we don't know the outcome. We can't control the outcome. And that's scary for adults. That's so scary. So I think the first thing I would say is own and recognize that fear. Like, look around, what are you trying to control in this moment? Are you trying to control your reputation? Are you trying to control making other people feel comfortable? Like who, what are all the dynamics? We're we're working so hard all the time to control, control. And then once you just can see it and say, ah, that's what I'm trying, trying to control right now. Okay, cool. I get that. Taking deep breaths. I mean, I know it's like the simplest thing on earth. And obviously this is coming from a theater person who, you know, spent a lot of my time on voice work and and all of the pieces that help you bring your body onto a stage. But breath is such an important opportunity to relax the mind, to calm the body, to bring down the nervous system and say, hey, it's okay. It's okay, we don't have to control this moment. And then the last piece of the puzzle that I think is, I'm I'm doing a lot of reading right now on is this notion of play. Mm. What's fun? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, okay. So if we stop trying to control, we take our deep breaths. <sighs> okay. What is stopping people a lot right now is that I think most adults have forgotten how to play. Oh. and forgotten what it that it's fun and it feels good and that we actually need it and crave it yeah i i'm you're talking to the preaching to the choir here <laughs> and and i see that all the time i see that with people that i coach i see it in myself there'll be certain places where i'm willing to say okay let's just go for it and then other opportunities where i say "Mm, i'm not so sure i really want to do that because and then i have my list of important reasons not to and yet (laughs) 
I think that that idea of play and the release that happens, if I'm not feeling like I need to control the world, then, wow, there's so much energy that is accessible where it wasn't before. I have, I have to put my energy here. I have to put my energy here, control this, modify that. And yet if I don't, gosh, what else could happen? Something that I can't even predict, but could be really good. And if it's not, oh, well, nobody's going to die. No baby seals will be killed and we'll go on to live. But if we don't day. try, if we don't try, we don't know. And so for me, that place where sort of creative impulses and play intersect, I mean, that's, an, that's, a, that's a powerful and explosive fun place. Um, and I think we dismiss it a lot, like particularly in... I, in the American society, like we're so focused on outcomes. Mm. And, you know, as you were saying, like, you don't know what, you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe nothing, maybe something. So releasing that need for an outcome becomes a whole other conversation in our head of like, well, what is this, is this using my time efficiently and well? Well, yes, because if you don't nurture that part of your soul, then you can probably predictive. You, you can you know, you can probably say yes. I'm going to answer 47 emails today. Well, congratulations, you've just answered 47 emails. Right. <laughs> right. You know, which isn't to say we we still do need to answer those emails. I mean, you know, life happens. But what happens if instead of answering 47 emails and that's your entire day, you answer 27 emails? Say the other 20 can wait till tomorrow. And take an hour to reconnect with how you played as a child, right? So like I was imagination play. That was my world. So for me, is it a surprise that like in my free time, I love reading books? Of course, that's not a surprise, right? But what, you know, what, what did you do as a child? Were you a person who was always out there on the, you know, on the basketball court or the wall ball and, you know, always moving your body? Or were you a kid who just, you know, loved nothing more than to get out the pots and pans and bang on them and make a rhythm and have music, right? So if you think about all these different modalities of like visual art, music, storytelling, games, movement, dance, a lot of us, have something that is innately part of who we are. And a lot of us have multiple modalities that we yes. that we just go to. So I guess when adults are looking to sort of refine that self, refined <laughs> that's that part of themselves, starting by asking yourself that question: How did you play as a child? Yes. What's the adult version of that? You like playing wall ball? Cool. Well. Do you, do you like playing, you know, is there an adult soccer league? Can you go out and kick a ball? You know, what is the thing that is going to bring you that moment of play childlike innocence that can kind of open the heart a little bit? Yeah. Well, so here's something that that's making me wonder about is when you talk about opening the heart, I think that's a big issue for people. You know, we're all like these uh, stick figures with these giant heads and these little arms and legs, you know, and that's it for us because we're in our heads so much because we're, there's so much of that need to protect this because we think it's vulnerable and we'll get hurt. And yet 
You know, I think when we do what you're advocating is we realize we are not that fragile. Mm. And that I wish people could see that and that we don't have to wear these suits of armor every day that are so heavy that we can only bear to numb ourselves out by the end of the day because it's so heavy and it takes its toll on us. That is so interesting. And I think it's so true. We are, we're so busy numbing our feelings instead of feeling our feelings. And my, so my husband, he's a, he's an engineer. He's a very, he's a computer scientist. And I mean, he could spend all day in his head. He loves solving problems and he's so good at it. And it can be anything from, you know, solve a computer problem, or he also, you know, he builds things and he's, you know, and it's so funny because I can watch him sometimes and his jaw will start to, you know, get that tense thing and he doesn't even know it. Right. And I'll look at him and I'll be like, Hey, did you move your body at all today? <laughs> like at all? And, and we talk about this because I'm, I'm, I'm so in my body, right? Like it's just, for me, that's just all, I've always had that connection. Um, my personal belief, I don't, I don't have a, you know, a, a, a degree to say this, but I'm dyslexic. And I think when I was a kid, I had to learn a lot of alternative ways of learning. Right. So connecting to my body became a, a lifesaver for me because early, early stuff, kindergarten, first, second grade, when everybody else was solving problems up here, it didn't work for me the way that they was doing it for the other kids. Um, so, you know, but the two of us joke because he is so in his head and he, and, and I am so in my body and therefore we, you know, we, we match well, right. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good combination. Um, and I, but I watch it and he'll, he'll, he'll be sitting there thinking all day. And then, you know, if he's, he'll stand up and maybe start, you know, walking the, the house or measuring something and suddenly bam, the answer will come to him because it's both, right? It's a both and. And I, I love what you're saying about how much our society is so busy putting on that armor because I do think we are so busy celebrating, well, we can think this through. But what happens if we feel it through? Yeah, yes. And so many of the great, I, I'm, I love that. So many of the great wisdom teachers say, we don't really need to be using our intellect as much as we think we do. Because when you come down into the heart, into that deeper intuitive knowing, that is so much more holistic. It's so much, it sees everything in the moment. It sees the whole big picture without having to say, well, step one, step two, step three. If there's a recognition that happens, which you must see so much in the work that you do, that it doesn't require analysis, that there's something that comes to us if we I, are open to it. I was going to say, if we're open to it, ex exactly. I mean, the there is an element of, you know, that phrase, trust your gut, right? You know, that, which is, it, it's a, it's a thing we say, but people don't really focus on what that is actually about. Yeah. But, you know, I talk to a lot of um, women who are coming up in my field who are interested in leadership roles. 
And one of the things I talk to them all about is that as they are growing and learning and developing, learning to trust whatever it is. So for some people, it's their gut. For some people, it's their heart, but their body will tell them what the answer is. And if your body is not telling you what the answer is, if you think that you're, if you find yourself continuously having to go, well, well, what, what is this? And what is this? What? That's the moment that you actually have to take a step away and take those deep breaths and recenter because what we're really doing is connecting to our creative heart center. Mm. And our creative heart center is far wiser than our analytical mind most of the time. Yeah. So how do we get these adults of which we sometimes are included in that group who are used to being organized, focused, on track, hustling, getting it out there, responding to demands and expectations and metrics and how do you reach them? How do, how do we remind them that that's not all that there is to life? Oh, such a good question. I mean, I get caught up in this too. You know, the other day I was just feeling so overwhelmed and I, you know, just logistics. I have three kids. I'm running a business. You know, it's just, it's just a lot. Right. And, and just, I was like, I was doing that thing where I was like, grinding, you know, I was all uh, wound up. I mean, you know, that feeling, right. Oh, oh yeah. And I, <laughs> and I, and I was chatting with my husband. I was like, oh my gosh, we were trying to, oh, I remember we were trying to get out of town. We were trying to go on a camping trip. Right. Which is like, I love nature. Like this is exactly the kind of thing I love doing, but there was just a lot of logistics at this moment. And I was dealing with back to school stuff. And I was like, oh, I feel so overwhelmed. I feel like I just need to lie on the bed and stare at the ceiling. And he looked at me and he said, well, why don't you? <laughs> and I was like, huh, you know, it's a, it's a really good question. I bet if I lay on the bed and stared at the ceiling for five minutes that none of this would feel nearly as hard as it feels in this moment. And so I guess part of the answer to (laughs) to your question is I think we all need to collectively lie in our beds and stare at the ceiling a little bit more. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, and and by what I mean by that is by noticing where are we? What are, what, what's happening in this moment? Is any of this as important as we're making it? Or are we making it important by telling ourselves a story that it is important? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes that's hard to tell. Yeah. Well, and I think that's where we talk, you know, you talk about like, I love yoga. I do a ton of yoga. Right. And the, the difference between I did a yoga class and I have a yoga practice right? One is I did a thing. The other is I have a regular commitment to getting back on the mat daily mm-hmm. or bi- bi-weekly or whatever your practice is. And I think we have to practice creativity. I really do. <laughs> I, think, I think it needs to be a mindset and, it, and, it, and we have to assume that we are beginners. All of us are always beginners and practice it daily. What is in this moment? How can I bring that creative mindset in this moment? How can I bring that joyful play 
in this moment, how can I let go of that control? And it's a practice that requires a lot of training of our brain to let it go. So do you think that creativity is a mindset or it's a recognition of who we are? Ooh, I love that question. (laughs) I think creativity is a connecting to ourselves. And a mindset is part of the process of getting there potentially for some people. We'll go with that. <laughs> okay. I I the more I reflect on this and the more I think about the and experience the the um, effects of being creative, which could also be called being silly or being carefree or being nutty. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There is, it seems like that, the noticing that you talked about is really important when we consider what, what's the quality of my life? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is this really the way I want to live, where I plan out my wardrobe, if people do that anymore, to go to work, people do that anymore, you know, plan out my wardrobe. I Wait, you mean yoga pants one, yoga pants two, yoga pants right. three, and yoga pants four, right? <laughs> right. A few different tops, you know, a little variety. But that kind of sameness, that kind of every day is the same routine and we don't see anything new. We don't feel much new. We have the same feelings. We have the same thoughts. We live the same life. We're missing the monarch butterfly on the hollyhocks, or we're missing the bright red convertible zipping by us with happy people in it, or great music or something. We that question of do are are we aware of what we're missing it's a i think it's a feeling that sometimes just gets covered over with oh i've got so much to do how could i spend time being creative so i'd love to know your thoughts about that yeah i mean i just your example of you know do you notice the red car coming you know blasting the music that's driving by or do you take you know just when you're cooking dinner and your favorite song comes on the radio, do you turn it up and just let yourself, let your hips sway a little bit as you're stirring your spaghetti sauce? I, I do think that the, those small moments are what add up to a life that feels creative and joyful. I'll also add that I think a gratitude, gratitude, connects to all of this in a big, huge way, you know, have that if you're noticing the red car or taking the five seconds to do the dance and then later saying, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of grateful that I did that, that little dance today. Right. So that it, right. It felt good. Right. So it, I mean, it, it does, it does kind of connect back to that. And I wonder, you know, I'm going to 
I'm a big fan of all of our devices. I use them constantly. Let's be honest. Like I'm, you know, I'm on my phone a lot, all of the things, but I do worry. And I worry about this for my own kids. And I worry about this for other adults that the numbing effect <laughs> of that device have always having the opportunity to give ourselves something that's so comfortable and predictable mm-hmm. has taken us away from noticing those small things that do give variety because different people need different levels of stimulation and variety. And I, I respect that. Like, yes, I am a person who I love adventure and I love new things and I love chaos. I do. I'm a big fan of it. I, I teach on the edge of chaos. I parent on the edge of chaos. Like to me, that's a place I feel super comfortable, but I really do respect that. There are a lot of people out there who hear that and go, ah, she's nuts. I want control. I want order, but we all need to be able to see beauty. And it's the seeing the beauty that is where we find our own creativity, right? Like, I mean, if we can't see it, why would we create it and vice versa? So I don't know. I just brought up like 15 different topics, but (laughs) I think my point, my point is if we all can figure out how to stay alive to the moment more, you know, being present in the moment, because you don't, if, if your favorite song plays on the radio, but you're busy scrolling through your newsfeed, you're not going to hear it. And we trick ourselves. We think we will. We think we're so good at it and we won't. Oh, and that's, I mean, and I do that to myself all the time, right? Where I'm like, oh yeah, I can multitask. Mm-mm. No, we can't. Pay a price. <laughs> exactly. You're, and the price is the moment. The pro, The price is connecting in that moment. Yes. Well, that's such a good point. I, I'm reminded as you're talking about devices, how we get that, you know, they are constructed in such a way that we get those adrenaline hits by doing this or doing that or checking this or seeing this feedback or whatever the device is engaging us in that we don't notice. You know, there's something that, uh, a phrase that was coined several years ago called nature deficit disorder for kids who weren't spending time outside because there was an, there was no electrical outlet out there. They couldn't keep their devices on for very long. And yet that kind of, I, I'm not a, I'm not a Luddite by any means, you know, and I, love new toys and new technology, but at the same time, as you're saying, if we don't have that balance, if we don't have that use of the tools in a a skillful way so that we can put our real attention on what matters. So it's kind of a complicated puzzle in some ways about why people aren't more creative. It is a complicated puzzle. And I, I do think what you're talking about, that word skillful, skillful use is, is such an important part of this conversation. Um, I'm, I totally obsessed with uh, Dr. Rosani who did all of the, she did her type talk on prescribing nature for kids. Um, and I just, I think that there is so much in that work and that connection between nature and creativity and how 
how can we be using the devices we have, using the tools we have to, in a skillful way to get ourselves into positions more often where we are able to notice, where we're able to see, where we're able to connect to, to, this, to our surroundings. That's the balance that I, I hope that I'm finding and that I'm talking, mean, I talk to my kids about the dopamine hit all the time, right? Like, hey guys, you know, you, you know, you know what's happening there. Yeah, I can see right now you wanna play their video, they play video games a lot because during the pandemic, that was how they were connecting to their friends. Yes. They would get on FaceTime right. together and they would play video games. And I was like the mom who was like, never going to let my kids play video games. Right. I was like, oh, it's not good. You got to do something creative. Right. <laughs> and here I am in the middle of the pandemic being like, please go, go play, play your games. And um, <laughs> right. In the, in the world of, we can't control it. Right. Where this is, the, I could tell this was the thing they needed. Yeah. But what we talk about is what, did the game developer who created this game, what was their motivation? Oh, that's why, why is the game designed this way? And I think that's the conversation around skillful, right? How can we both as adults and with our kids be saying, cool, so these devices have really important purposes in our lives and they're not going to go away. It's not like we're going to wake up tomorrow and suddenly we'll be like, ah. Who needs an iPhone, right? I mean, they're they're convenient, they're great, but controlling for those, for controlling for the aspects of them that where we do lose control, where our brains are are responding to things that we can't stop them from responding. Mm -hmm. To me, that's really so important and so connected to how we can go back to a world of more playful creativity for adults. And also, and this is a tough one, but figuring out what is that balance point between being creative for ourselves and being creative. Like I see a lot of people who are posting about their projects on Instagram or whatever that is. And I, and I love that. I love seeing it. I love, but where is the point? Where's the point where we're doing it for ourselves? and just our own pure joy mm -hmm. versus where we're doing it for likes and asking ourselves that hard question. Cause I am a person who says, you know, if you want to find your own creative spirit, please learn how to crochet, make an amazing sourdough bread. And yeah, I totally want to see the picture of that because it's cool and it's inspiring and I love it, but let's be aware that there's a careful pivot point where we have to be doing it for our own sense of self, just as much as we're doing it to say, hey, I want to inspire others, but that it's not about, I got 23,000 likes, you know? Right. And ultimately, what does that mean? 23,000 likes. What does that do? The to story. You? Is, that, is that about your well-being, your, your self-worth? Yeah, it's, it's an algorithm. <laughs> Maybe I don't want to create a product or a something you know but beyond that where's your life yeah well and that goes back to what you're saying you know if it's if it's about selling a product are we noticing the moments of beauty around us mm -hmm. and and there's nothing wrong with selling a product 
because it's of something that is joyful and right. Like, I mean, I've made my living by creating a theater company and I'm so grateful that I've had the opportunity to do something I love for my, for my adult life. And that brings me joy and creativity. I don't know. It's just, it's a really fine line though. Yeah. You know, um, and for those of you who are listening, please forgive me because I've said this more than once on this program, but I read uh, a quote that was attributed to Vincent van Gogh, who was writing to his brother when he was first uh, in the seminary. And he's in this little garret, you know, with penniless and got the candle, you know, and the, the, <laughs> the cheap pencil and yellow paper. And he's writing this letter and he's describing what he sees out the window. And then he suddenly stops and says, it's so beautiful, I must show you how it looks. And he draws a, a little crude little picture in his letter to his brother. And that phrase, it's so beautiful, I must show you how it looks. That, when I heard that, it was like, Wah! you know, the angels started singing. And I thought, if that isn't a reason to live, I don't know what is. I love that. In musical theater, we talk about the fact that a character bursts into song because the emotions are so big, they no longer have just regular words to express them. Their heart is just so big. And I think it's kind of the same idea. Yeah. It's so beautiful. You know, I just, I think about the moments of, of, of those emotional catharsis or just when you see a painting or a piece of art that is it's so beautiful that you stop and it it makes you you know I mean I get emotional when I see something like that because it is it's somebody sharing something so intimate and so perfect and it's perfect in its imperfections yeah yeah I love that <laughs> yeah I wonder if as a as a species, whether we are coming to, I certainly would hope this would be the case, but coming to a point where we see how valuable and important that is to have those moments of what is life worth living for? Is it really sure. just pounding it out in our jobs or getting 23,000 likes or you know, whatever the, the accomplishment or the acquisition is, what is it really that we're after? I, my, my, my optimistic hope is that if there is a silver lining that comes out of the awfulness that has been COVID, it is that for some people, there was an opportunity to wake up and ask that question. And that's not going to be for all people, but for some people, or for some people, maybe there was a moment to discover something about themselves and, 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 and figure out that if, you know, if I do this little thing for three to five minutes a day, I feel a little bit more alive. Yeah. yeah. Let's feel alive more. hundred percent. Let's feel alive more. And, and, and it doesn't take much. I mean, I think that's, you know, you asked, you asked a long time ago when we were chatting about advice for, for adults. 
And I would say that's one of the keys. It doesn't take much. You don't need to be the next Van Gogh. Van Gogh's amazing and we're glad that he existed in our world, but it can be a doodle on the back of a napkin. It can be turning up the radio and singing along while you're bringing your kids to school. It can be baking a cake and trying out a recipe you've never tried before and playing with it and having fun and tasting and understanding what it, what that chocolate tastes like in your mouth. I mean, creative living doesn't have to be 24 seven. It can just be moment to moment and that's fine. And you can still feel fully alive. I'm good with that. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So we have sadly come to the end of our time for now anyway. Can you tell people what you're up to these days and where they can find you and how they can get in touch with you? Absolutely. Um, So these days I'm at Bay Area Children's Theater where we are uh, doing outdoor theater this summer and have a production of Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus performing outdoors for families, uh, which has been so much fun. I am also, I blog regularly and you can find me at ninameham.com. Um, and also you can find me on Instagram at nmehan and at Creative Parenting. Terrific. And for those of you who don't know, the Bay Area means the San Francisco Bay Area. Thank you, yes. Just in case. <laughs> well thank you so much for being on today i really just i wish you lived closer or i wish i lived closer to you i want to see what you're doing in person well there will be so many more opportunities for irl in real life as this all passes in the meantime between time it's been such a delight to talk to you and um I'm having a moment where I'm grateful for a pandemic because we've all gotten so much better at Zooming and podcasting. So it's a delight (laughs) to be able to connect with you. (laughs) Thank you. And thank you everyone who has been watching or listening. We really appreciate your joining us and we will see you on the next episode. So bye for now. (laughs) 